John chapter 8, beginning verse 31, it says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in Him, If you abide in My Word, you are truly My disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered Him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, We were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my Father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, If anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And the prophets who died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. You know, this is the third time of John, seven times that he records Jesus using these I am statements. I am, of course, being the name of God that God revealed to Moses. When God sent Moses down to Pharaoh to say, let my people go, Moses says, well, when I get there, who do I say sent me? And God said, tell them I am has sent you. Well, this is probably the most bold of Jesus' statements because sometimes he'd say, you know, I am the bread of life, that kind of a thing. But at this time, he says, before Abraham was, just plain and simple, I am. Well, as we look at this passage here, I think the, the main thing that he's pointing out to these people, and there's a couple groups of people involved in here, is that they need to be real. The reason that I'm saying that is 
he deals with basically two groups of people, but he, he challenges both of them. It says, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him. That's referring right to where we left off last week. Because notice what the verse right before that says in chapter 8 and verse 30. It says, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. He's still there at the Feast of Tabernacles that we've been covering over the last couple of weeks where he at the water ceremony, he says, if you're thirsty, come to me and I'll give you the living water. And later at the lighting ceremony where he says, I am the light of the world and whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. It says at that point, when many people heard those words, they believed in him. Now Jesus is continuing that conversation to those people that it says that they believed in him. He says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. He's challenging them and saying, look, what you've said that you believe, now if you abide in that. Sometimes the Bible uh, translates that word remain in that. Continue in that. Then you're truly my disciples. But see, what he's commending them to do is just be real about that faith. They're saying that they believe. They've heard His words. And and that's a step up because remember, lots of people were following for the, the show. They were following the signs, the miracles that He was doing. And Jesus always questioned their faith. This whole passage has to do with the Word of God. And this whole passage has to do with the reality of faith. He's not challenging them to be real in the sense of many in our culture would tell you to be real, like be true to yourself, be be who you really are, that kind of thing. That nonsense is not where He's going. Where he's going with this is about them being real, being true, truly, my disciples, being genuinely committed, not just having a faith that is a faith of your speech, of what I say, I say that I believe, but actually having one that is demonstrated within your life. And he does that with this first group just by dropping a challenge that, okay, well now if you continue in it. The other group of people, they come out against him right off the bat as they're obviously listening in to this challenge. And they say, hey, we've never been in slavery. We're Abraham's descendants. Well, apparently they don't remember Egypt, being stuck in Egypt. They're forefathers and apparently they don't recognize that they're actually under Roman dominion now. So there's some real things that they have problems with with that statement. But they're saying, hey, we're Abraham's kids. But you know what Jesus does? He says, no, you're not. Abraham never acted like this. If you were Abraham's kids, you would be rejoicing in who I am. Abraham longed to see my day and was excited about it. They'd say, hey, we're even, we're God's kids. And he'd say, no, you're you're not. I came from him. My father is God. You know who your father is? Your father is the devil. And Jesus is challenging them and saying, no, absolutely not. You need a faith and a faith that is real. You need to be real. Well, as we look down through this passage He keeps bringing back this idea of His words or the Word of God. and Our faith and the reality of our faith is demonstrated in our relationship to the Word of God. He's going to point out several things, about four of them, down through this passage that all relate to the Word. Now we'd be remiss if not recognizing that He Himself in one sense is the Word. All the way back in John chapter 1, it says, "...in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God." And so Jesus is actually stated as being the Word. But in this passage, it's dealing more with uh, the things that He says, the Word that He is speaking. Well, as we look at it here this morning, in our relationship to the Word, we see first off that the Word confirms. And what I mean by that is that it confirms your faith. It confirms the reality. 
your relationship to the Word of God and to Jesus' words confirm the faith that you declare to be inside of you. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in Him, If you abide in My Word, you are truly My disciples. He says, if. It comes right on the heels of them saying that they believed. But you know, Jesus was often skeptical of people's belief, as we've seen through the Gospel of John. Belief, a genuine faith, is definitely what is required for salvation. The Bible tells us, by grace you're saved through faith. It's not of works, so that no one can boast. We can't say, I earned my way to heaven. It's not an achievement, something that you ascend to. We're saved completely by grace. In fact, that's the message of John. He's been very blunt about it. I'm writing these things for one reason, so that you can believe. He used that word believe over 80 times. And that in believing, you'll have life in His name. It is through believing in Jesus Christ that we experience salvation and the forgiveness of our sins. But you know what? There is such a thing within the Bible as a false belief, a fake belief. Jesus has pointed it out through the Gospel of John. In fact, if you remember back to chapter 2, it says, Now when He was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in His name when they saw the signs that He was doing. But Jesus on His part did not entrust Himself to them because He knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man for He Himself knew what was in man. People were saying that they believed, but He didn't put too much stock in that. Why? Because, well, a lot of times people say they believe, but they don't even really have a good definition or understanding of what it is they're saying that they believe. Uh, they say they believe, but it doesn't impact or seem to affect their life. I remember talking to somebody that I know very well one time, and it ended up talking about spiritual things. But at one point he said, well, you know, I, I remember when I was about 12, I remember walking that aisle. This person had very little to show any kind of a semblance of faith at all in his life. Never had anything to do with church or Bible reading or anything when it was left up to his own decision. When you looked at his life from anything on the outside, and not that I was trying to sit in judgment on him, what I was actually trying to do is sort out in my own head, how does this salvation work? He could look back at one time when he was a child and walked an aisle and said a prayer to ask Jesus into his heart. But then from that time, it had over 40 years of not following him at all from any sense that I could see. And in my mind at that time, I was thinking, is that faith? Is that what it means to believe? Is that a genuine faith? I would have to say, no, that's not the description of a genuine faith. Because in a genuine faith, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within. The old passes away. You become new. And so, it's kind of like John would say in his epistle of 1 John, he'd say, look, if you say you love God, but you just you don't obey the commands and you don't love your brothers, he it says it's, it's hollow. It's, it's not, that's not real love. And it's not real faith. But in Jesus' ministry, there's times where people believed and He's like, ah... You're not trusting that level of commitment too much at that point. John chapter 4 says, After two days he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. So when they came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. But why did they welcome him? Having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. What are they flocking to? They welcomed him. Looks like they're receiving him. You might even call it some level of faith. But at the same time, why are they doing that? It's because of the miracles. They're not really trusting in Him. In fact, a few verses later, He's going to correct them. Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And so there's a lot of people there, a lot of groups that were there just for the show. In fact, when it came down to the hard sayings, when Jesus made some hard sayings about Himself and people's relationship to Him in John chapter 6, says, after this, many of His disciples turned back and no longer 
walked with Him. And so you see at this point in Jesus' ministry, we've seen lots of people claim to believe, but lack any look of any real commitment. And so Jesus has been pretty skeptical about their levels of belief. When they say they believe, this time Jesus, it looks like He kind of takes it with a grain of salt. And He says, so if you abide in My Word, then you're truly My disciples. You see, that's the litmus test. The Word of God and your relationship to the Word of God confirm or deny your faith. Jesus says you're claiming to have faith. Let's see what happens. Are you really going to follow? That's what He called them to. Whoever follows Me will not walk in darkness. Are you really going to follow Me? Next week, are you going to be here? Next month, are you going to be here? Next year. Where were they when He went to the cross? He says, you see, that's what shows your faith to be genuine. That's what shows your faith to be real. In one of his parables, the farmer goes out in the field to sow the seed. In this story, the farmer represents God and the seed represents the Word of God. And he says there's all kinds of different reactions. For some, the seed just get picked up by the birds right away and there's no reaction at all. For some, they, they begin to grow but get choked out by the weeds. For others, they sprout up but have no root and they fail. Finally, there's the ones that are genuine believers and the, they land in the good soil and it produces fruit in their life. It changes their life. But you see, there were three other responses, two of which looked like faith in the beginning, but what what was the difference? They didn't remain. They didn't continue. They didn't abide. And you know what? When you think about it, it only makes sense for this to be the litmus test of our faith. If the fruit of faith is not faithfulness, then you really have to question the faith that's supposed to be underlying it. Now, it's interesting because notice what he says. If you abide... So it's a conditional thing. He's saying, look, okay, your belief, your belief is genuine. You're truly my disciple if you abide. So it's one of those if-then statements. If this is true, then this also is true. If you remain, if you continue, if you abide, then it is true that you are truly my disciple. But notice the R. If you abide in my word, then you are. He's not saying you will be or you will become. He says you are. He's not putting this out there as an achievement for them. He's not telling them, okay, you said you believe today. If I come back next week and the week after that and you're still here, then you will become my disciple. That's not what he's saying. He's saying if your faith abides, if your faith is faithful, as faith would be, Otherwise, it's not faith. You'd have to call it something else. It's the same word. Then you are my disciple. You already are my disciple. You see, the point is, he's not saying you have to go out and be faithful to earn this salvation. He's just saying, you know what? I'm going to watch and see because if you truly are my disciple, either they are or they aren't. If you truly are, you're going to remain. You're going to abide. You're going to continue. We find language like this all over Scripture. We're going to limit ourselves to the Gospel of John because it's full of it within in this Gospel. Chapter 8, verse 37, notice what he says, I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because, notice what he says, my word finds no place in you. And so he's got a group of people that are believing and he's saying, if you're truly believing, it will continue and you'll abide in me. And he's got a group that's not abiding at all, not trusting him at all, And notice their relationship to His Word. He says, My Word finds no place in you. 
If we are genuinely trusting in Christ, then God's Word has a welcome place in our life and we like to learn it and we like to follow it. That's what being a disciple is. If God's Word finds no place in us, if God's Word finds no place in our life, if we have no affection for it, if we have no desire to follow it, then there's a good chance that that is a phony faith. That is an empty faith. In chapter 8, verse 43, it says, Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You know, there are times, in fact, even at the end of this chapter, where they're going to kill him because of what he just said. Because he claimed to be God. And they just really could not bear to hear his word. Chapter 8, verse 47, he says in a general statement, he says, whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. And in chapter 8, verse 55, Jesus even kind of gives his own example of in his relationship to his father. He says, but you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and I keep his word. And so just as Jesus knows the Father and keeps his word, if we know Christ, we will keep his word. We will continue to follow. We will abide. We will remain in his teaching. We will have an affection and a desire for his word. When you get to John chapter 12, verse 48, it says, The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. If we genuinely have our faith in Christ, then we will abide, we will remain, we will enjoy his teaching. His word will be in us and will continue. John chapter 15, he gives a whole story about it. He gives this analogy of the vine and the branches. And he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask what you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Notice that. And so prove to be my disciples. In other words, not become. This isn't how you become a disciple. You become a disciple just simply on faith. But what you do after that proves whether or not you're a disciple. That's the point Jesus makes continually. Is that our remaining, our abiding in Him, our continuing to walk with Him and grow with Him in this faith, it verifies our faith. It confirms our faith. It proves our faith. First John chapter 2 and verse 19 is dealing with some false teachers that came up through the church. And he would say this, he says, they went out from us. So, so these people that were part of the church uh, left. They went out from us, but they were not of us. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not all of us. You see, what he's saying is there were a group of people within the church that we thought they were of us. But they left. And not to find another church of like faith or anything like that, but they left the teachings of Christ. And he says, so his conclusion is, you know what? They were never genuinely part of us. Why? Because if they were part of us, they would have stayed. If their faith was genuine, if they really believed the things that they had said that they believed, they would have stayed. It would continue. Remember the passage a 
chapter or two before, where Jesus said, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and all that come to me I will lose none of. There is no such thing as somebody that's saved for a while and then loses it. Because Jesus doesn't lose anybody. He keeps them all. And they remain. And they continue. And they abide. And that's what in First John, so when he had people that had claimed to believe something, but they did not remain faithful to it. They left. They did not abide. They did not continue. He says, it wasn't genuine. Otherwise, they would have stayed. In Second John chapter 1, verses 9-11 through 11 says, Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Now, I think that uh, when it talks about house and everything there, I think it's actually referring to the, to the church. But he's basically telling the church that, look, church, if a teacher comes and does not hold to the teachings of Christ, don't give them any time in the pulpit. In fact, don't take a love offering to contribute to their ministry and don't wish them Godspeed as they go out from there to continue because they are sowing a false message. They're working for the enemy and not God. And if you benefit them in a certain way that way, then you are guilty of the same things that they are. You'll be accomplishing the same evil practices. And so he said they needed to make a dividing line. You see, that's exactly the point. Jesus says that our relationship to His Word makes that dividing line. If we continue in His Word to follow Him and grow, then that points out that our faith is genuine. You're not achieving faith, coming to the point where one day you will have faith. You already have faith, but it just shows whether or not that is genuine. Well, in the last chapter that he really kind of deals with this in chapter 17 of the Gospel of John, in verse 6 he says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Notice that. It ties all the way back. Because remember, Jesus said, all that the Father gives me, come to me. Now what does he say in verse 6 here? He says, you gave them to me, and what did they do? They kept Your Word. Those who exercise and put genuine faith in Christ will keep His Word. Then in verses 8 and 9 of of chapter 17, it says, For I have given them the words that You gave Me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from You. And they have believed that You sent Me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those who You gave Me, for they are Yours. Notice, he says, I got a group of people here, Father, that are yours. How does he know that they're yours? Because they received your word. That's what genuine faith does. It, it receives and follows the words of Christ. Verse 14, he would go on to say, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And then lastly, he says, Sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth. You see, consistently throughout the Gospel of John, and and I'm telling you, we could spend the next month in here every day talking about the Word of God and tracing it through the Bible and following these things. The Word of God and our, our following it, our continuing in it, our abiding in it, that's what confirms our faith. Is our faith real? Is my faith real? Is your faith real? Well... What's it look like in my life? 
Has it changed my life? Does it demonstrate itself? Do I have an affection for God's Word? Do I have the desire to follow that Word? Do I have that testimony of the Holy Spirit inside of me confirming that God's Word is true? That's what demonstrates the reality of our faith. And, and, it's, and it's kind of interesting too, just as kind of a little bit of a rabbit trail maybe, but when you look at this idea, you think about this fact, that when, when you come to genuine faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within us, and then through that ministry of the Holy Spirit, we abide in Christ. We remain in Him and we follow His words. You know, in John chapters 14 through 16, Jesus starts telling His disciples about the Holy Spirit. And He tells them, He says, you know what, I'm going to go away. And they get all stressed about that. And He said, you know what, don't worry. It's actually better that I go away. Why would it be better that Jesus goes away? He says, it's better that I go away and the Holy Spirit comes because if I leave, the Holy Spirit's going to come and He's going to, he's going to be with you because He's going to live in you. He's going to indwell you. Now, why is that better than the physical presence of Christ? Well, because the physical presence of Christ can only be in one place at a time. And so wherever Jesus was, that's where He was. And not everybody's with Him all the time. In fact, nobody's with Him all the time. But with the Holy Spirit, He's in all of us all the time, wherever we go, and so He can be with us constantly. Well, it's encouraging that one of the things that Jesus promised through the Holy Spirit was the completion of the Word of God. I want to take you to John chapter 14, verses 23 and 24. It says, Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Uh, whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. And so he begins to promise this, this Holy Spirit coming into, coming into their life. And he says, this Holy Spirit that comes into you is going to be like me and the Father coming and making our, our home with you. And whoever does not love me or keep my words, he talks about, again, the whole focus of that. But you know, he's going to go on from there, and we're not going to cover it here this morning, but I'm just going to give you a little glimpse into next week. Because he's going to go on from there and he's going to basically outline the New Testament. He's talking about what the Holy Spirit's going to accomplish in the lives of the apostles and then on into our lives. He's going to call him the Spirit of Truth. The Spirit of Truth is going to come and he's going to guide you into all truth. He's going to remind you, Jesus tells them, of the things that I've taught you. And he's going to show you things to come. You know, it's been a huge encouragement to me from the first day that I realized what those promises all together meant. When you think about it, when Jesus says the Holy Spirit's going to come and He's going to remind you of the things that I've said, that's the Gospels. The people that Jesus was talking to there, the disciples, were the ones that recorded the Gospels for us. He said, I'm going to guide you into all truth. That's the epistles, the further teachings of the apostles, and including the Apostle Paul. And he says, lastly, I'm going to show you things to come. And that's the book of Revelation. A little bit of 2 Thessalonians. A couple spots. Matthew 24. A couple spots here and there. Mostly Revelation. But when you look at it, when Jesus was telling them, look, the Holy Spirit's going to come, and 
this is part of what he's going to do. What is he going to do? He's going to continue completely give us his word. Remind him of the things that he had taught him. Guide us into all truth. Show us things to come. And you know what? That's what we have in the New Testament as we have God's word before us today. And so Jesus, as he encourages these people to be real, we notice that the, the Word of God, and all of it's going to deal with the relationship of us to the Word of God. The first thing the Word of God does is the Word of God confirms. It confirms. What does it confirm? It confirms whether my faith is real. I can say I believe, just like those people, many of them said they believe, but what is shown in my life? Does God's Word abide in me? Do I continue to abide in it? That demonstrates or rejects the reality of my faith.